Welcome back to the Chris Gates Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. I'm super excited to dive into another Q&A. We got five really good questions here uh, to answer on this episode of the podcast. Um, And like I said, I appreciate you being here. It has been a few weeks since I put together a podcast episode, and that's just because there's been a lot going on. (laughs) I... um, yeah, I uh, did a. I opened up coaching applications. Gee, I don't know. It was three or four weeks ago now, I think, and um, had a lot of people express interest, which was awesome. That's that's what I love to do is work with uh, people to you know work you towards whatever your fitness and nutrition goals may be, and um, got a lot of interest in that, which was cool. And so I'm super excited to um, have some new clients that I'm working with now. But that took up quite a bit of time. Uh, I normally record these podcasts on the weekends. Um, and I spent the majority of the past few weekends building programs and doing all the stuff that comes with, uh, bringing on new people. And, um, that's a lot of fun, but uh, I'm excited to now have time back where we can get back into the podcast here and pop out some episodes again. So I have some plans here for the next, uh, few weeks and few months to have some more Q and A's and also do uh, a bit more of the more like hyper focused podcast episodes where I dive into one specific topic that actually used to be the majority of the episodes that I did in the past. It would just be about one specific topic. And like, we would do a very deep dive on whatever that topic was. Um, and I'm, I want to do more of those along with the Q and A's. I really, enjoy both. And uh, I'm excited to have more of those here for you in the upcoming uh, weeks and upcoming months. But um, yeah, like I said, five questions for uh, the episode this week. And uh, I'll run you through what those questions are. And then we'll go through each one, one by one and answer them. So the first question uh, that we're going to dive into is if I'm under my calories for the day, but I've hit my protein, is it okay to stop eating? Question number two, what are the best exercises to strengthen your back muscles? Uh, Question number three is, do you really need to specifically train your abs? Do you actually need to do that? Because, you know, if you talk to different people, you'll probably hear different things about what the answer to that question is. Uh, What exercises do I need to be doing? Need in all caps. Like, okay, what do I actually have to do when I'm lifting? Uh, That's question number four. And question number five is why shouldn't you track calories burned? So that's should not. Why should you not track calories burned? Um, That's something that I preach quite a bit and I've gotten some people asking about why. So we're going to dive into all of those questions and uh, see what tangents we we hit along the way as we typically do here on the podcast. I'm uh, excited to dive in. So real quick before we do, Um, if you are listening and you're not subscribed, please uh, make sure you hit subscribe because I have podcast episodes that come out uh, just about every week. And I want to make sure that you get those and, and can continue to further your education and learn more about fitness and nutrition and how to put all this stuff together to reach the goals that you have. I'm on every platform. So just search for Chris Gates Fitness. You'll find it, hit subscribe. And also if you have one to two minutes right now and you can pause the episode and go leave me a rating and review Uh, Wherever you do listen to this podcast, that would help me tremendously. Um, Those ratings and reviews actually really help the podcast get more exposure when people search for things about fitness. Um, So if you have a minute and you can do that and you like what you hear on the podcast, I would really, really appreciate it. Uh, And lastly, I am a coach. So if you are interested in getting some customized 
personalized help and guidance and coaching along the way to reach whatever goal you have. Uh, Most of the people I work with, it's about building muscle, burning fat, feeling more confident, uh, developing healthier lifestyle habits, and really putting all these pieces together to um, make a sustainable plan for yourself that you can utilize well into the future long after we've stopped working together. If that's something you're interested in, there will be a coaching link in the show notes. But okay, let's dive into the five questions for this week's episode. And question number one is, if I'm under my calories for the day, but I've hit my protein, is it okay to stop eating? And this is a weight loss specific question, really, when you when you dial it down, when you boil everything down, this is about weight loss. And um, what this person means by under my calories, what they mean is, you know, normally, if you're trying to set up a calorie deficit for yourself, you have some idea of the amount of calories you should be eating. Um uh, what I do with my clients is typically give people a range. So we're going to say like you should each day try to be between this and this amount of calories and this amount of calories. So I don't know, ballpark, say like I want you to be between 1,800 and 2,000 calories. Try to do that uh, every day. And so that calorie range is what I use. There are other coaches that just give you a specific number. Um so like actually I'm I'm dieting right now. I'm trying to lose uh, some body fat and I'm doing that on 2,300 calories. So I'm trying to get right to that number every day. What this person means is, you know, if, if you've hit all of your protein, protein is a very important piece to the total nutrition puzzle uh, that you've got going on for trying to lose weight and being in a calorie deficit. If you've hit your protein and you're under your calories for the day, is it okay to stop eating? So um you really do want to, along with having a calorie goal, at least have a protein goal additionally. So um, again, I'll go back to just since this is fresh on my brain right now, that since I am dieting, I am eating 2,300 calories a day and I am shooting for 190 grams of protein. So in my situation, you could say like, okay, at the end of the day, if I've already eaten 190 grams of protein, but I'm at 2,100 calories and I feel full, I feel satiated, do do, I, do you need to eat 200 calories more? That's the situation this person's talking about. And it's, this happens all the time. In the last week uh, with some of the my new clients, I have addressed this specific question. So I would say this is kind of a yes and no answer. For weight loss, yes, you can stop. If you've hit your protein for the day, and you're under your calories, you can stop. But what I would actually encourage you to do is to eat up to whatever that calorie range or calorie limit you have is for each day. Um, And there's a reason for that. I really strongly believe in eating as much food as you possibly can to lose weight. And if you have a calorie goal, and that calorie goal has you in a calorie deficit, then eating up to that calorie number is going to mean you're in a calorie deficit. Despite the fact that like you, you know, maybe don't feel like you need to, you could eat more, but you don't need to, you've already hit your protein. So you'd be fine with calling it quits for the day, but you know, you could eat more, but which is going to benefit you more. I would actually argue that eating a few additional calories to get you up to whatever that calorie goal is that you have for yourself is long-term going to be more beneficial for you. So in these situations, most of the time I say, 
Yes. And this is an opportunity for you to eat something that you actually really enjoy. Sometimes I'll be in this situation or I'll have a client in this situation and we got like 150, 200 calories left and it's an opportunity to get in like one of those small snacks that you wouldn't think that you could really actually fit into a weight loss diet program. Uh, One that I really enjoy is like we have these little ice cream bars. They're like 170, 180 calories. And uh, it's an awesome way to like end the day. I'm in a calorie deficit and I'm eating ice cream. Like what could get better than that? And by doing that, you're going to make the diet feel more sustainable long-term. The longer that you're in a calorie deficit and you, the more times that you're having these opportunities while in that calorie deficit to eat a little bit more, like eat more when you're already feeling full, but you're still going to be in a calorie deficit. That is the perfect place for you to be in. And if you choose to do that each time this happens, you're not going to, you're much less likely to run into that situation where you just hit a wall. You get burned out on dieting because you feel like you're never able to eat the things that you enjoy or that you love. Um, You've been in a calorie deficit forever and it's just draining you. And, you know, at the end of each day, as time goes on, like this scenario, you hit your protein, but you're under your calories you keep reducing and reducing and reducing those calories when you really don't need to because if you ate up to that number, it would still be a calorie deficit. That's what tends to lead to burnout and I don't want that for you. I think any good weight loss plan should allow you to eat as much food as you possibly can while losing weight because being full and satisfied is the best way to have long-term success. So, Is it okay to stop eating if you're under your calories for the day, but you've hit your protein? Technically, yeah, that's fine. I would really encourage you, though, to eat up to that calorie number because it's eventually going to go down, right? Like the more you lose weight, the more your metabolism and your body adjusts to being at lower calories, your body wants to be as efficient as it possibly can. So like as I'm dieting on 2,300 calories right now, I know that that number is only going to go down and I'm going to ride out 2,300 calories for as long as I can until I see that, okay, we've hit a plateau here. Clearly I need to lower my calories to lose more weight. We're going to ride it out as long as we can, but eventually I will have to drop that calorie number. So I might as well eat up to it now and enjoy it as much as I possibly can now because that calorie number is going to go down and then I probably won't be able to have those ice cream bars <laughs> later in the diet. Um, and if I didn't enjoy them in the early phases of it, it will be 10 times harder to continue going when calories get reduced even more. Uh, make it as sustainable and enjoyable for yourself as you possibly can and eat as much food as you possibly can while at the same time being in a calorie deficit and losing weight. I could not recommend that more. That is the that that is what my coaching philosophy is rooted in in terms of anybody that comes to me looking to burn body fat, lose weight. That is what I recommend that you do. Question number two, what are the best exercises to strengthen your back muscles? This is a great question because, uh, you know, your back has a ton of different musculature uh, that works in many different ways, but there's a way we can really simplify it because uh, if you think about how you train your back, it's almost always doing some type of pulling. Uh, And that's why often when people train their back, they call it, that's my pull day, 
you know, back and biceps, the pull day workout is the, uh, the classic, um, the classic terminology. And I, and I, I, I use that for myself and I use that with my clients as well. Um, really we can just think about rowing and rowing from multiple angles. It will probably train the majority of your back just about as effectively as you can. So think about rowing and the three different ways you can essentially row. One way that you can row is from the floor. You can row weight from beneath you up into your body. And that'll often look like, you know, doing something like a a barbell row, a standing barbell row bent over. Um, You could also do essentially that same motor pattern by holding onto dumbbells and doing a bent over dumbbell row. You could do uh, the one arm dumbbell row where you're supporting your upper body with the arm that's not rowing by putting it on a bench or a chair or the dumbbell rack or something like that and rowing with one arm, then switching and doing it on the other side. Rowing from the floor is one place to start. The second place that you can move to is horizontal rows. And This is often like a chest-supported machine row where there's handles in front of you, you're pulling them into your body. You could also do this as a cable row, uh, which is, I guess, technically also still a machine, but you have the cable in front of you and there's a, a number of different attachments that you could put on the cable. It could be handles, it could be that V bar, it could be a wider bar, like almost like a lat pull down bar that you pull into your body. Um, but those horizontal rows where you're sitting up, you're not bent over in this situation, you're sitting up straight and rowing weight into your body. That is a second form of rowing that will train your body or train your muscles in your back slightly different than rowing from the floor because it's just a it's a different angle of pulling. And the third is I you probably wouldn't call it a row uh, as much as you would call it a pull down, but some type of pull down. And I think the one that people gravitate to the most is the lat pull down, where you're sitting up straight. You have a lat pull down bar above you, where you're holding onto it with each hand, and you're pulling that bar down to your upper chest area. Um, you can also once again switch up the handle attachments that you use on a lat pull down you could do it with one arm with a just a handle Uh, again you could put that v bar on there and pull that down and then there are also are other more like specialty lat pull down machines that your gym may have like hammer strength machines uh, or those hoist machines that allow you to do lat pull downs in slightly different ways but the rows from the floor the horizontal rows and then pull downs are going to train you're back at three different angles. That's pretty effectively going to train all of the musculature in your back. You're going to target your lats, your rhomboids, your traps. You're really going to essentially target every muscle in your back. And by doing all those rows, you're also going to hit your biceps a little bit too. So the best exercises to strengthen your back muscles, just think about rowing and think about the different ways that you can row. Now, you don't need to do every single one of those exercises I just mentioned in one session. What I would recommend is pick one row from the floor, pick one horizontal row and pick one type of lat pull, one type of pull down and do those and and do one of each across the week. You could do them all in one session if you want or spread them out depending on what your workout split looks like. But if you're doing those three motor patterns in terms of uh, training your back, you are going to be getting essentially 
uh, all the bang for your buck that you possibly could just by doing those three variations. Okay, question number three. This is a good one. Do you really need to specifically train your abs? I've heard a few different things about this. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, yeah, this is one where depending on who you talk to, (laughs) the answer will be yes or no or maybe anywhere in between. My answer is going to be a combination of all those answers, and I'll walk you through a few scenarios that'll help you understand whether you should be training at your abs directly. Um, I will tell you this, as a coach, the amount of ab and core abdominal training that I give people in their programs to start, it normally gets... Uh, I wouldn't say that. I I wouldn't say it like normally because that makes it sound like all the time I'm getting this reaction. But I get a popular reaction of like, why aren't we doing very much ab training? Because I'll give like one to two different exercises for the week, each week. Um, And that's because I think for the most part, like the common perception of how you should train your abs is way, way, way over the top. You do not need to be doing like 15 different ab exercises and as many reps as you possibly can of all of those different ab exercises each week or, I mean, God forbid, within a single session. Um, Listen, I've been there. I've done like the Insanity and the P90X workout. Those are the things that got me started with fitness a decade or more ago. And I remember doing like Ab Ripper X for P90X and it was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15 different ab exercises, Um, tons of volume, tons of reps. I'm sure it helped me build some of my abdominals that I, I have now, but like looking back now, knowing what I know from a strength and conditioning perspective, it was way, way more than I needed to be doing. And I think Again, generally speaking, I think people think you need to do far more than you actually do. The answer is it depends. Do you need to specifically train your abs? It depends on your current scenario. So if you're a beginner with fitness, if you don't have much development in your abdominal muscles, then doing some direct ab training probably is necessary if that's important to you um, just to be able to build up your abdominal muscles. Your abs are no different than any other muscle group in your body in terms of like the the fundamental principles of what it takes to build muscle. If you're trying to get bigger biceps, uh, bigger shoulders, a bigger back, bigger quads, whatever you want to build, abs are the same. You need to be progressively overloading them over time. And I've done I've written about this a ton. I've talked about it on the podcast a ton. So you can go back for like more detailed information on these principles if you want. I'll, I'll summarize them here very quickly. Most people see a benefit of doing 10 or more sets per muscle group that you want to build. And within those sets, you need to be lifting legitimately close to failure. So you, on each set, you should be lifting within one to two to three reps of failure. If you're further away from failure than that, you're probably not giving yourself the stimulus that you need to build muscle. Uh, Beginners, it's a little bit easier when you get started, but as you get into it, you're going to have to train harder and harder. So if you're a beginner and or if you don't have much development in your abs, I would recommend that you do some direct 
ab training. It does not need to be uh, eight or 10 or 12 or 15 different ab exercises, like pick two, maybe three that you enjoy doing and just focus on those principles of progressive overload, giving yourself enough training volume, um, making sure that you're either adding reps or adding a little bit of weight or adding sets to those exercises over an extended period of time while lifting within three to one reps of failure. And those abs of yours will grow. I promise you that they will grow. Um, compound exercises are also very beneficial. And this is where we get into like kind of a more technical explanation. Uh, and this is, you know, where having a coach maybe can be beneficial for you as figuring out how all this stuff comes together. Because if you're doing compound exercises, those are also going to be training your core if you're doing them properly. So like if you are doing a bench press, well, proper technique on a bench press is taking a deep breath in before each rep, bracing your core and holding that bracing throughout the entire rep. Um, your core is involved in bench pressing. Your core is even more involved in squatting if you're doing it properly. Once again, taking that deep breath in, holding it, bracing your core, that your core muscles are stabilizing your body while you have weight on the bar or holding the dumbbell, whatever type of squat you're doing. Your core is helping stabilize your body to perform that exercise. So your core is involved and that is training volume that can count towards training your abs. Deadlifts even more. If you're doing barbell deadlifts, dumbbell deadlifts, sumo deadlifts, Romanian deadlifts, whatever you're doing, once again, if you're doing proper form and technique where you're taking that deep breath in, bracing your core, your core is helping stabilize your body during that exercise. It's not like the crunch and then stretch. It's not the, you're not going to feel like those muscle contractions and then the stretch on the other end of the uh, rep. It's more of an isometric contra contraction, which means your, your muscles are just essentially held in place, but they're stabilizing your body. So you are giving them a stimulus, which means that they are going to be trained during those compound exercises. And you know, I think as part of any good program, you're probably doing some compound exercises along with maybe doing an ab exercise or two, um, which is another reason why, like I don't train, a, uh, I don't program a ton of ab training for my clients because we're doing compound exercises. We are doing uh, a lot of the things that you need to be doing in order to uh, you know, build overall functional strength for your body and build muscle. Um, so we're getting a lot of core training by doing those things. And then we work in maybe an ab exercise at the end of the workout. Later in the week, we'll have another workout. We'll toss another ab exercise into the end there. Now, the last thing I'll say about this is if you are an experienced lifter, if you've been training for an extended period of time, um, and you have focused on training your abs in the past, and you have decent, uh, you have decent muscle development in your core. Um, your need to continue to specifically train your abs um, is probably less as long as you're still doing compound exercises. I will tell you, for all of the reps that I've done training my abs in the past, which like was all I trained in college and, um, nobody cared <laughs> was when I look back on it, I think of all of the time I spent training abs 
that I could have spent training other muscle groups that now I would much rather be stronger um, with, but I, you know, whatever. That's a, that is a topic for a decade ago. Um, most of my ab training comes by way of compound exercises and I'll do some like hanging leg raises once a week. That's, that's all the ab training I do. You, you really, um, as you get more experienced and you lift heavier and you're doing these compound exercises and assuming that you're doing them correctly, the need for direct ab training backs off quite a bit. So that was probably a longer answer than maybe you were looking for, but I wanted to make sure I mapped out all the different scenarios because so many people are like dogmatic in the answer to this question where it's like, oh, you don't need to train abs at all. That's so uh, overblown and overkill. You just do squats and deadlifts and you'll build six pack abs. And like, that's not necessarily true. Um, That's like saying you could just do a bunch of rows and you'll build, you know, biceps as big as you want them to be. Like your biceps will be involved in that exercise, but they're not going to, you're not going to maximize your bicep growth by doing rows you'll grow them a little bit, but you won't maximize it. And that's kind of the same with training abs. Um, So I wanted to make sure I mapped out those different scenarios and and I hope that was helpful. Two more questions here uh, on the episode today. Question number four is what exercises do I need to be doing? Need in all caps. And the answer is none specifically. (laughs) There are none that you need to do um, but there are some that I would recommend everybody do. So that probably maybe sounds a little bit confusing and I'll explain what I mean. Um, I think one of the worst things about the fitness industry is that people have been the consumer, you, the listener have been convinced that there are certain workout routines that are optimal. There are certain exercises that everybody should be doing. There are exercises that burn fat Um, these things are not true. There is nothing that you specifically need to be doing. And the reason I think that those concepts are the worst thing, one of the worst things about the fitness industry is because it ruins people's relationship with fitness because what is actually the case is if you would just focus on the things that you enjoy, those will lead you to making exponential progress as compared to doing some things that you feel like you're supposed to be doing because somebody on like TikTok said that you have to do it. There are none that you have to do from a health longevity standpoint. There are though some motor patterns that I would recommend most people participate in. And again, we're talking about general health Uh, building some uh, functional and foundational strength that will last you for a lifetime. Um, And we're talking about the major motor patterns here. So pressing, pulling, squatting, and rowing. So pressing would be anything that trains your, you know, chest, shoulders, and triceps. So typically that's like a chest press or a shoulder press. Uh, Pulling exercises. We talked about quite a few of those earlier on in this episode. Pulling exercises are essentially those rows and pull downs that we talked about could also throw deadlifts in there. Squatting is a big one. So many people as they get later into life just can't squat because they're, you don't, you know, like you don't train your joints in that motor pattern. And so like the less you train them, the less you're going to be able to use them as you age. So being able to do some type of squat where it could be, you could do a barbell squat. You could also do goblet squats where you're holding a dumbbell or a kettlebell. Um, you, you could even work lunges into this category of squatting. Um, 
anything that gets you dropping those hips and using your knee joint is really beneficial. Um, and then rowing once again, like, I guess that kind of falls into the pulling and rowing. They could essentially be considered the same. Um, but those rows from the floor, horizontal rows are really, really going to benefit you. And I think if you're doing one exercise in each of those motor patterns on a regular basis, you're going to be setting yourself up for so much success, whether it be to build muscle, this could also be to, to burn fat, uh, and lose weight. Uh, this really applies to any type of goal that you might have, but really why I like these is because of the health and longevity that they provide you. Because these are some of those functional motor patterns that we need to be able to do. And these are the functional motor patterns that a lot of people struggle to do the older that they get later in life. Most people, I don't know, name the, how many people can you count uh, on one hand that can do a push up uh, and a squat and I don't know, let's toss in like a row, one of those rows. How many people? over the age of 50, do you know that can do all three of those things? It's a very small amount of people, which is sad because those are some of the main ways that our body moves. And they're some of the main ways that we need to be able to move. So that's why I I think people need to be doing those from a health and longevity standpoint. Technically, there's none that you need to be doing. You should really do what you enjoy the most if you want to be consistent with fitness. Um, but again, I would recommend trying to find a variation of those motor patterns that you enjoy because then if you enjoy, you'll do it consistently. If you're consistent, you'll make a ton of progress. And since you're doing those motor patterns, you will very, very uh, positively impact your health for the long term. Okay, question number five. We're ending with a doozy here because I am very passionate about this topic. Why shouldn't you track calories burned? Why should you not track calories burned. I hate (laughs) that people track calories burned. It is maybe my biggest pet peeve. Um, And it's something that I correct a lot with folks that I work with because um, to start, there's actually no way for you to possibly know how many calories you're burning in a day. Um, I have a Garmin watch on right now that'll tell me let's look at it it tells me i've burned 1418 calories so far today and i know that that is complete bullshit <laughs> there's no way that i burned 1418 calories uh, at this point in the day and and i to be honest with you i don't know if that is lower than what i've burned or higher than what i've burned it doesn't matter you should not track calories burned first and foremost because if you are relying on however you're getting that calories burned uh, number, if you're relying on that to manage your progress, manage your diet and how, how much food you're allowed to eat or whatever, you are going to absolutely ruin yourself for, for, from a number of perspectives. Um, the only way to get this number right is to live in a metabolic ward, is what they call them in exercise research. It's essentially um, a, there's a, you could sit in a chamber that measures the heat coming off of your body. And that is able to tell you accurately how much, uh, how many calories you're burning every day. 
Obviously, that's not practical because you don't own one of these things. I sure as shit don't. And you would never have access to it realistically to know how many calories you're burning. So if you have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or a Garmin, or if you're like getting on the treadmill and your treadmill is telling you how many calories you're burning as you're walking or running or whatever, understand it's all bullshit. None of it is right. Okay. You, you, You have to understand that. And the reason that this can ruin you is because so many people do essentially what I just mentioned is they they use the amount of calories burned every day to dictate how much food they're going to allow themselves to eat. And if that doesn't sound like an eating disorder to you, I want you to rewind and listen to that again because that is going to that can set you up for a very messed up relationship between fitness and food that could ruin, literally ruin you, okay? I've seen this happen way too many times and I've gotten way too many comments on my social media accounts asking me about this because people have let it ruin them. You don't have to work out to earn the ability to eat food. You have to understand that. And if, again, you're using these numbers that this fitness technology is giving you you're not even using the right information. If you're trying to understand, normally it's tracking calories burned so that you can be in a calorie deficit and lose weight. That's normally why people do this. Most people don't do it to try and find out what their calorie surplus is. You know, that's that that's not why people want to know how many calories they're burning. So if you're trying to lose weight and you want to track calories burned, instead, what I want you to do is only focus on the amount of calories going into your face, okay? Only measure the amount of calories that you are consuming. What I mean by that is I want you to start tracking your nutrition to actually see how many calories you're eating. You're not gonna be able to out-exercise bad diet consistently for the rest of your life. That's not sustainable, okay? And so why the hell would you try try to make progress that way if it's not gonna be sustainable? You want to lose the weight and you want to keep it off. So let's do it the right way. Start tracking your calories, do it for a few weeks, and see what your average calorie intake looks like on a daily basis. From there, you should simply just be able to reduce your intake by a few hundred calories and start losing weight. That's how we should manipulate calories. You should not try and track the calories that you're burning because there is no way to know how many calories you're burning. And if if this is something that you do or you have done or you've been thinking about, I really, really hope this is the time that gets you to stop doing it because tracking calories burned messes so many people up. It, 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 there's the eating disorder thing that I mentioned before. And, and even if that doesn't happen, that's the worst possible scenario. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. And even if that doesn't happen to you, if you're using that number, the calories burned number as some type of guide for you to try and lose weight, you're never going to make the progress that you want or you think you should be making because it's not accurate. Those calorie burn metrics are not accurate. So um, that is why you should not track calories burned. You should track calories eaten. And I hope that makes sense. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I really appreciate you being here. And I'm excited to start getting podcast episodes back out to you. So I look forward to quite a uh, few more of these here over the next few weeks and months. And uh, I hope you will tune in. I hope you will leave a rating and review. Make sure you subscribe if you're interested in coaching. That link is in the show notes. 
and I will talk to you again next week.